Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. You're with Sophie Guy, and today I'm speaking with David Tully about engaging fathers in their child's social and emotional well-being, and what this looks like in the family violence context. David has worked in the area of domestic violence and childhood sexual assault for over 20 years, both as practitioner and service manager. He is currently the practice manager for specialised family violence services at Relationships Australia in South Australia. David, thank you very much for giving up some of your time this afternoon and coming to talk to us. Thank you for inviting me. So we're here today to have a conversation about engaging fathers. We're talking about engaging fathers specifically rather than engaging parents. Can you tell me, is this a useful distinction to make? I think in any time when we're thinking about our work and trying to um, find ways to make our work reach people, be effective, actually create change, and particularly, you know, the focus today is around how do we create change so the environment where children can develop, engage and flourish is really important that we look at all aspects of um, social experience in that. And obviously genders are very powerful and um, important aspect of social identity. So it makes a lot of difference than the way people will potentially engage in services, find different ways of service that will be useful or not useful, and also um, what they will take out of those processes. So gender is a very important thing to think about. And also it's sort of important to be able to think about the complexity within gender then how different things intersect with gender. So one's ex- one person's experience of man will be shaped by certain social experiences which will be different to another man. So we always need to not um, create these categories that become um, like big meta-narratives or stories, but think about how gender intersects with whole other experiences around um, cultural background, religion, ability, sexuality. I mean, all those things are in the mix whenever we think about these issues. But I think it's really important, gender being quite powerful, um, shape of experience that we need to think about to actually be useful and effective. Mm -hmm. What does engagement of fathers look like then when it's going well? Well, I think um, engagement for when it goes well, when there's a really good sense that you've really engaged them as a person, that you have a good sense of their history, why being a parent is important to them, that you've got a good sense of um, their values, their ethics. really driving this process for them as well, um, that then you can then use that to transform into some sort of change, momentum or energy. So it's about really knowing the person, getting a good sense of them, but also feeling like the work's collaborative, that they're engaged. And, and particularly because we're talking about parent, uh, men as fathers, that really there's a sense of how somehow the child's need being very central in the process and the man's willing to be um, take on parts of the work where it might be a little bit more challenging because they really want to be a better father and that's why they're there. So that's the sort of the things when it feels like to me that it's um, uh, working well. And my sense is um, not for all men, but for the majority of men, once they get through those first hurdles of engaging um, and the worries about what might happen and what we might do to them and their concerns about that process, they actually really enjoy it. Like it's a space that they might not have had a lot of time um, in their life to be taught, thinking in reflective ways about being a dad, being a man and their own health and well-being. Once that space is created, they really enjoy it. But set that the trick is to create that space. And so some of that, to me, some of those really important pieces it is, again, as I said, to be able to really engage them in a holistic way about what's important to them, what's their values, why they like being a dad, what's good about it, what's tricky about it. 
to get a good social history to then use that to sort of challenge some of the more things that might have brought them there to the support and service, the things they're struggling with around the kids' behaviour or their own well-being while they're trying to be a parent, those sort of issues as well. Well, let's shift now to talk more specifically about your experience working in the family violence yeah. space. There's some that might say that uh, men who've been violent don't deserve support in this way or support services and that perhaps, you know, it's really a, an issue for the criminal justice system. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to that? I, I think the important thing is um, to start the conversation is obviously we work in a space particularly around supports around families and children's family violence where there isn't a lot of resources. So I think that actually on one level sets a uh, context where those sort of discussions become quite often, you know, about, oh, well, this is taking resources away. So, I mean, the way I try to think about it, which helps me, is let's, let's not, uh, let, let's find some ways to join together to actually argue about we need a bigger, let's not argue about the cake, how do we make a bigger um, cake? And equally, you know, I think the work's not about saying that we shouldn't have consequences for behaviour, particularly around violence, and particularly violence affects children. But what are we actually going to also do to create change? Because we can then just rely on the criminal justice system or our child protection systems. And as I said, I mean, they all have a role to play. But if we actually don't find ways of engaging men working through some of these issues, one, I'm not that confident that, you know, those systems themselves create change as well. But secondly, that that um, that has consequences for communities as well. Um, like many states within South Australia, we're facing a massive increase in our uh, corrections budget. It's very expensive. We also know that, um, particularly around family violence issues, that uh, a period in jail may create a period of safety for the, the children and children. We know that it doesn't in itself change behaviour. In fact, that actually jail can be a place where violent and attitudes around women and children that then helpful can actually grow and flourish and be supported as well. So to me, it's not saying that, that you know, that obviously the criminal justice and the child protection systems are really important, but what else can we do that can work alongside those systems that can create some opportunities to change? And to go back to the earlier point, how do we actually create a uh, situation where we're not arguing about very limited resources in this space, but saying, look, we need to have a, a, a much more holistic preventative um, attitude of a government policy and a funding level to tackle these issues. Um, the the cost of family domestic violence is massive, both at a you know a social level, but even the long term consequences around mental health for children and young people. So to be able to work with one man and even create some level of change, that ripple effect, even of itself, is worth it. So yeah, but but I'm you know I I'm comfortable having that discussion, and I think any practitioner who works with men needs to be able to be comfortable to have that discussion about. Why are you doing this work with men? And when we have, you know, we have waiting lists to work with women and children, why are we doing this? I think it's a, it's an important ethical tension we should be comfortable having. But at the same time, feel uh, comfortable that we're trying to create an area of practice that is about preventative, that is about um, creating opportunities for, for men to create change, but also it is about trying to create outcomes for women and children as well. Um, which is really important as well. Yeah, perhaps you could talk a little bit more about that. Um, so if there is a role for providing um, support, behaviour change yeah. or uh, services like that, can you talk a bit about why this is important for child social and emotional wellbeing? Well, I mean, uh, the, we've got to a stage, I think, uh, from a research perspective, but also I think 
from an ethical perspective that having children exposed to family violence and being subjected to family violence has such dramatic effects on their emotional, social, educational, long-term mental health outcomes um, that um, to avoid the, the, the obvious part about we're needing to look how we can actually look to change these issues particularly around men's behaviour becomes really important. I mean, I, as I said earlier, I've worked a lot with around children who've been affected by um, physical, emotional violence, sexual violence, um, and seen those quite devastating effects in their lives to know that we also need to actually find some ways of also preventing these issues from either continuing to occur or, or worsening as well. And that's sort of what led me to this work. It wasn't necessarily that I initially started, oh, well, I want to work with men around violence. It was really about working with children who have been affected by violence and then realising that, that, that there's this person who's hugely influential over the family life, but also even on my therapeutic outcomes. Like you respond to a child who's experiencing trauma, you can provide great ways of helping them manage and cope with and respond to some of those effects of that trauma. But if the trauma keeps continuing and we just le let the child continue back into that, it didn't sort of make sense. So that's what led me to sort of being interested in trying to cage men who are using violence in their family relationships to do things differently. So that, that's sort of what led me there in the work as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when you're you're in, you're sitting with a, a man yeah. um, who's there because he's mm -hmm. he's been violent towards his partner or towards his children. What does it actually look like? What does engagement look like in that yeah. situation? So I think that the most important thing is that I need to be very clear what I'm trying to achieve, you know, and realising that this, this, is a, this is a process that will take some time, but very much the focus is very much around trying to engage him to then look at the, the issue of the violence, that violence is the focus of the, what we're trying to do in the counselling or the intervention or the group or the telephone support or whatever we're doing, that's what we're trying to focus. But to know that, that we need to be able to sequence that work in a way where it's actually going to provide him the, the best possibility to step into it as well. So it's a real balance between the ethics of knowing the effects of his violence and wanting to be able to move quickly but also understanding that, that that's that we need a sequence of sort of interventions that will maximise the possibility of him once staying engaged with that process, actually using some of the, the things that we've talked about. And thirdly, start to um, be able to understand and self-manage this behaviour, because that's the ultimate goal, I think, of any work, is that um, it's not about us help, helping him notice, oh, how did that affect your kid, uh, that he would then be able to self-identify that. Oh, actually, I start to notice when I raise my voice that um, Sarah, my daughter, eyes go down to the ground and she looks scared. And I never noticed that before, now I'm noticing that. So which, that's where we want to be able to go, but realising that this can be a quite uh, challenging process. And there's a lot of things that are supporting this man's attitudes and beliefs that support his violence and being part of his life for a very long time. Um, so we need to be able to sequence it. So what I'm interested in initially is trying to engage the man and actually find out why this is important to him. You know, what's at stake here? What's, um, what about his family or his situation um, that is leading to this being important to him? Also, I'm quite interested in asking questions such as, um, how does your violence affect you? What, what impact has it has on your life? Because what I'm trying to do is create a, a language or, or a, um, his capacity to start to, start to reflect on his own use of violence. And often, um, 
we talk in this area, there's a lot of what we call externalizing of responsibilities or she made me, this made it happened or if, if my kid hadn't broke the window, I wouldn't have got angry. But what's also important is, is for a lot of these men, there's a self-belief system that they um, can't do things differently. And one of the more um, interesting parts we often get to the counselling and the group work is when men articulate a statement such as, if I don't yell and I don't get angry, I don't know how to be a dad. That, that's almost like their road, roadmap for dealing with children. Mm-hmm. When the behaviour gets like this, I get angry and I don't know what else to do. And we know that the men do know other things to do, but that, often that belief system is what's having them not noticing their different ways of being a parent and dealing with these issues. So that's where we want to be able to go, but we need to be able to engage that. Because what we recognise is when uh, we ask a man to think about his use of violence, that he's probably going to be experiencing quite contradictory cognitive and emotional responses to that. Because part of him might be wanting to make it go away and blame other people. Part of him almost might be feeling really um, a sense of shame about what he's done. You know, really hard emotions and, and remembering some of the things he's done. Like I said, that question about what's it like to see your daughter scared of you? What does it mean that you've come here and told me that? Because you didn't need to tell me that Sarah was scared of you. What did it take to come here and share with that? Because, you know, you could have been worried I could have judged you and I could have um, made you feel really rotten about doing that. So what allowed you to tell me that your daughter's scared of you? So that's what we're interested in doing in the show is engaged, to actually create a quite more solid base to then raise the more challenging parts of the work, which is really helping the man not... Um, focus on other people but actually start to focus on his own working himself up process what's going on from him is really important to establish a basis to do that mm-hmm. and it's also more likely than to engage keep engaging over a period of time because you know the reality is this process does take time it's not a one hour response this, this is a process that's going to take um, often years to keep him engaged in self-reflection so how do you keep the needs of children and perhaps the partner um, visible at the same time while you're doing this work? Yeah, and I think that's really the critic, one of the critical balances in the work. And if we don't have a good understanding of the effects of violence on women and children, boys and girls' lives, we can get lost in that process. Because as I said, there's a real inclination when a man's talking about his use of violence to use some of the, the, the thinking and emotional strategies to make it go away because that's how he's managed to maintain himself in this behaviour for a period of time. So we need to be able to um, be quite aware of that to understand that how that behaviour has affected women and children. You know, so there's a number of different ways to do that. I mean, for me, I know it's, it's important that my work's not done in isolation from people working with women and children affected by violence all the time. I'm hearing that as much as I'm hearing the, the stories from men. I think it's also really important that where possible we either get information or work alongside people who might be working with other members of the family. But, it, but it's, it, it's also um, knowing that there's more to this man than just his minimisations and denial and blame, that there's part of him that knows what he's done. There's parts of him that has those memories. He's seen what he's done. He knows what he's done, that he can access that, that process. And also a belief that that actually is not just important in terms of an account, the political accountability, but actually around effective therapeutic intervention for him to be able to recall and think about some of his actions and talk about them so we can understand how he got there is, is an important part of his therapeutic process. It's, it's useful 
for all parties, but also serves the man from that political accountability. But it's also about effective sort of psychological change process to remember what that look of terror on that child's face meant. Because when he's going through a process of working himself up, we need to find things that are going to um, slow that down and ground him. And maybe that look in that his daughter's face might be the thing that slows him down, you know. So that, that I think is important. But I, I think the other part of it is always to be in conversations where you, you, you're hearing about what's going on for women and children, boys and girls in this work, because it's very easy just to get lost in a bubble, I think, around working with men. So it's important that that work's always grounded in the realities of it as well. So is, um, is keeping um, the children or the partner sort of present, is that something that needs to go on moment to moment in a session or is it just sort of part of the broader picture uh, over time as you're working with men? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, it's, as we're talking, I remember my one of my first ever actually, supervisor wasn't about working with men. We were doing work around childhood, but she she always had this idea that somehow imagine the child or the in the room, They're not not physically, but but as a as an audience to what you're saying. And I always had used that as a way of structuring my sort of thinking. I think it's it's to be present. It's not going to be present always in the conversation, but I think it's always thinking. Well, what what is this actually going to mean for partners and children? What what's this? Is this bit of work we just did really going to be have meaning for their lives? Um, and am I sequencing the work in a way I think that will uh, allow me to eventually get to a place where we can do some more of the more of the challenging, you know, that high support, high challenge stuff, or are we sort of just losing focus and I'm just following? some of his um, patterns of making it go away in the therapies. Because it's not an easy thing to think about your child being afraid of you. It's not an easy thing to think about a partner who um, is scared of you. You know, these aren't easy things to do, but very important within the work. So yeah, I think that's how I do it. Different practitioners do it different ways, but I think it's important. You're listening to an Emerging Minds podcast. So I was also thinking about how human relationships mm. are complex mm. um, and dynamics in families, mm. um, of course, where violence occurs must be, yeah. you know, very com complex as well. Um, so I'm wondering when maybe there's situations where you also have concerns about the mother's yeah. parenting or, you know, it's more complex than just yeah. the violent father. Yeah. How, how does that go? Well, I, I think, I mean, I think you've, it's important and, and the reality for people who work out in the field and the practice, that's, there's always multiple complex layers to this. It's not just as simple as a man and his behaviour. The first bit, though, is, is sort of then thinking about how that violence might be affecting the whole family, what I call ecology, you know, what's going on in that family. How does it influence the parenting styles of what's going in, in on the family? So there's, there's not diminishing that, but it's, it's knowing that, you know, sure, there's going to be families where there's going to be high level of conflict, ha harsher than harsh parental sort of beliefs and attitudes that are going on. There's going to be all those sort of layers. So for me, the, the important thing, though, is I don't, particularly if I'm sitting working with a man, that I don't get, we don't get lost in all that. That only, that probably none of that's actually going to get better while his violence is still a present feature in that family. You know, so if it's, oh, well, yes, but my, my wife's not very good at being a parent and therefore, you know, I have to step in and be really harsh because she's depressed and, you know, she's drunk drinking or whatever. I've, you've got to just watch it because can, can, you can run into that sort of story about what the problem is as well. 
But equally, you know, it's not saying that, that, you know, if we think in terms of layered responsibilities, there's still, as adults, there's a power difference between adults and children we need to think about. And as a parent, there are some responsibilities. But I think it's important to understand also, particularly around families domestic violence, when, when it's occurring, um, it affects all parts of the family. And some of the symptoms we might be feeling of the effects of violence might be the other problems. And I think that's often what we unfortunately see as a story that comes out as childhood. Oh, we've got a mother who's severely depressed, not able to get the kids to school, and you know she needs to change sort of stuff as opposed to, well, what else is going on? How do we think about the role of the father um, and if there's violence there as well. But mm. yeah, I, I think it's not saying that the man's responsible for all the problems, you know, kids are kids and they have issues. But what the really, I think the simple line is none of this is gonna get better while violence is occurring. So really making that the focus of the, of the therapeutic work as well. Mm. It's also then finding ways to get in and provide other supports for women and children at the same time. And some of that might be around the effects of violence, some of it might be around parenting, some of it might be around drug and alcohol, other drug and alcohol support, it might be around mental health supports as well at the same time. Because yeah, we deal with families who've got lots of history and, and you know, and also for a lot of those families, the, the violence has been um, intergenerational, particularly working in some communities where, you know, violence has been part of their experience before they've come to Australia, for Aboriginal communities where violence is, structural violence is, still occurring, you know, there's all these other layers of violence that's occurring within families as well. But particularly when it's about keeping the focus there, because that's where I think um, we've probably got the most um, opportunity to create change for that family as well. Okay. I was also a little bit curious about, you know, we often, the most obvious thing is physical forms of violence. Yeah. Um, but of course, the, the broad definitions yeah. of um, family violence include, or domestic violence yeah. include, emotional yeah. forms of abuse, um, you know, psychological, spiritual forms of abuse. Yeah. Um, I was sort of curious to know um, a little bit about that. I mean, I guess that was my own curiosity is, no, are I, you dealing with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think, because well? often when, when men, engage in the process and it's sort of under, that you might have one or a couple of signature pieces of things that have happened. Oh, there's this one time when I did this or I, I pushed her or, you know, that's obviously a physical thing. What I'm, I guess where I know where the work goes is we're trying to help the man see that this is not just an instant, this is a pattern. And those patterns aren't just about the physical uh, actions that there's a broad pattern of, you know, I broadly see it more a broad pattern of what I call social emotional responsibilities around family and well-being. There's a bigger pattern of what's going on that we need to um, eventually pull the lens back so we can start to see all of it. So it is recognising that that, you know, the violence isn't just physical. Controlling behaviours don't necessarily have to um, occur through physical violence and often there's constant surveillance and controlling things that are going on that um, are affecting the family's well-being that we need to look at. But as I said, but often you, you start with just the signature piece. Oh, this is a problem because my life went to a sister's because I did this thing. Um, but I think the, the, the social, so the emotional, verbal stuff is really important as well. But see, what Simi sits behind that is a broader sort of understanding the way, almost the blueprint of the way the, the relationships work that these men are often operating from. And it's also a belief that, you know, generally speaking, these men aren't um, deviant from uh, social norms. They're actually 
over compliant with certain scripts of what it be is to be a man in a relationship and to be a partner. So to be able to pull back and look at those, those, those wider practices in relationships really quite important as well. But it can be hard because often, you know, it's, it's much easier around certain behaviours. Oh, that is violence because the police were called and there was there was a there's a physical contact. It can be often harder and often members say, oh well yeah, but she yells back as good as I do, so therefore, you know, I can't stop until she stops. You 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 bump up against some of those sort of issues as well. But when we, what we take the men through in terms of process of understanding some of the the build up towards some of the incidents, they start to identify that there's other behaviours that are problematic, and the fact that that the the actual incident that might be in the beginning of the counselling, the behaviours that happened before it is just as much as a problem, you know, where they start to think certain things about their partners and kids that they start to then say things from those belief systems, that's as much as a problem as the actual incidents themselves. And that's why, um, as I said earlier, the, the, the change process is a longer one than just, you know, here's some skills not to use physical violence. It's about changing a whole script around family and relationships that that the man's just lived from and being uh, one level often very compliant with that needs to shift and change as well. So it's a, it's a broader change process. Mm. So you've worked in this space for mm. about 20 years. Can men who've been violent, use domestic violence, can they change? Yeah. Um, in, in a very simple response, yes. And I think that's the, the important part of this, that we, it's important, you know, and I, and I think it's important we hold on to some scepticism or, or, or uh, thoughtfulness about whether men are making change, but most definitely they can. Um, where we really need to understand is, is what do we need to look for for men who are making change, which men are making some changes and which men are making as not many changes. And usually when I get asked this, that's usually what I, the way I describe it. Like if I'm having, or supporting someone who's working with a partner, I am, you know, like, will my partner change? He's come to three sessions. I say, well, the reality is some men do change. Some make some changes and some don't. So what, what are you noticing about him's behavior? That's really important. But I think on the other hand, because those stories of change aren't available in our community, aren't something that is circulating, I think it actually helps keep this issue even more entrenched, that men aren't necessarily going to come forward and ask for help. Mm. For one, that they, I think it's important that they are concerned that, you know, what are we going to think about in the service? But I don't want to be seen as a wife beater. I'm not, I don't want to be seen as a child abuser. I don't want to have people judge me. And, you know, and for some of the men we work with, they've had other experiences in their life where they do think people don't think well of them. They might've had their own experience around developmental trauma where they do sense a shame around any. So, it's about how we engage, be really clear and focus on the behaviour, but understand that it's not an easy process for men to come forward. So I am interested in us being able to sort of create a more um, possible story around change for men, because we do want them to come forward. I mean, even if our goals only, if you only want to ethically divide out women and children, boys and girls as a concern, we're either going to rely on the criminal justice system to fix it all up and spend massive amounts of money and probably not always get there. Even if we just ethically are only focused there, we still want men to come forward, you know. Also ethically for me, it's about, you know, having some hope around for men. And I think we are in a process where some of those cultural shifts are happening. I mean, even from 20 years ago when I started, men are much more interested in discussions around parenting, being a dad, 
you know, in a much more public way than they were. So there's shifts and change on, but to do that, I think we do need to be able to create a sense that hope is possible and to find ways of languaging these issues that makes it possible for men to put their hand up and say, I have this issue. Certainly it is hard to get mm. positive yeah. stories yeah. or, yeah. you know, good news stories yeah. out there. Mm. So I'm glad we mm. ended on that. I think that was a good, a good discussion to, yeah. to finish with. So thank you very much for your time, David. I really thank appreciate you. it. It's a really good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds, and delivered in partnership with the Australian Institute of Family Studies, the Australian National University, the Parenting Research Centre, and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.